This audio podcast is available in several places. On YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Overcast, etc. Or you can just add the RSS feed to your podcast player or download the MP3 audio file from my website. If you're listening to the podcast, for example, on iTunes, I would appreciate a rating and a review. And on YouTube, subscribe to my channel and click the notification bell icon. If you enjoy a podcast episode, a like is always welcome. As are any comments or questions you may have, which you can add in the comment section below each episode, for example, on YouTube. Thank you. Cheers. Although, uh, if people don't like, they're going straight down into David Jones's locker, so they better click the like button. Welcome to the Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for Tuesday, the 26th of March 2019. I'm your host, Davy Jones, and today we have a special R Factor 2 themed episode. I'm delighted to be joined by Marcel Offermans and Rene Butler from Studio 397, the developers of R Factor 2. Hello, Marcel, and hello, Rene. Hello, good evening, Davy. Hey there. Guys, thank you very much for joining. Um, And let me begin by, first of all, offering my congratulations on the Fanatech 12 Hours of Sebring event you just hosted at the weekend. So it was a very enjoyable event to watch. And in addition, I want to thank you guys for bringing R Factor 2 back into the fall, so to speak, because um, I have some notes here. I remember there was some some serious excitement when a Nissan GTR GT500 2013 received an audio update after about three years, something people had been waiting for a long time. And I also remember the days when multiplayer with R Factor 2 was based on a yearly subscription. So R Factor 2 has come such a long way since you guys took over. So I wanted to thank you, Rene, and you, Marcel, and all the guys back at the studio for all the work you've been doing to breathe some life back into R Factor 2. You're welcome, and uh, we're obviously glad that you're enjoying the sim so much. Indeed, I am. Now, I wanted to start... um, I'll start with you, uh, Marcel, if I may. Now, I want to talk about... um, Later on, Studio 397, how you both got started with Studio 397 and then R Factor 2. But Marcel, uh, you're the managing director at Studio 397. Can you give us a brief introduction on how you got started in in sim racing, game development and so on? Absolutely. Uh, I think, well, I have to dig back uh, into last century when uh, I was still a little kid and started uh, hanging out at the video arcades that in uh, in that area you still had uh, and playing games. I remember stuff like Pole Position from Atari, uh, losing a lot of money in, in those machines uh, and at some point uh, getting something that resembled a, a game console at home uh, where I could actually play racing games and other games myself. Uh, did a lot of those. But I think what really got me hooked and what really got me hooked into online racing was like, I think many people uh, who've been around for a while, uh, Grand Prix Legends. Yes. Uh, that really was the first sim for me where I could compete online. And that was 
seriously difficult to handle and 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 uh, the sense of achievement just doing a good lap and improving day after day shaving off those tens of seconds i mean that and and competing online that was really really i think the moment i started becoming a sim racer and when did you get your first wheel or i mean uh, many people have talked about grampy legends but can you remember when you got you got your first wheel and what kind of wheel was it Absolutely. I, I actually got my first wheel for Grand Prix Legends and initially that was a Thrustmaster T2, I think it was called. Uh, didn't have force feedback, was just a wheel, uh, had two pedals and it had a sequential shifter on the side. Yeah. No other buttons as far as I can remember. And just a rubber band to keep it centered. That, that was what I started out with. Yeah. A bungee cord as they call it. And how about you, uh, exactly. Rene? You've all also been doing some hosting and commentating and so on. How did you get started in gaming? I mean, I'm coming from a family where Formula One was a major topic at the weekend since my dad is a huge fan. Yeah. And uh, so I, he's a programmer, so I always had a PC around and started playing relatively early, obviously, and then uh, got hooked on uh, Grand Prix, uh, the, like the Microprose Grand Prix series back then. Uh, from Cremont, uh, really loved those games, and I was I was just playing around with it and kind of got into the idea of cars and, and motorsport in general, and then went on to uh, obviously Grand Prix Legends, just like uh, Marcel did. But at that time, I was rather leaning more towards uh, Toka, and then later on Live for Speed, yes, uh, which was like a niche game, but I absolutely loved it, and that was my start into. Uh, online gaming, so it was the game I went actually pro on since in Germany back then there was a pro series for this game and from there on then I started commentating on it since hey, this it's a bit easier to <laughs> commentate than yeah. staying on top and since I was running out of time to really practice every day uh, I decided to help out and actually be uh, the caster for the game rather than trying to stay on top the, guy, the guys are just too quick for me Yeah, and where does the um I want to ask, where does the G-Runner moniker, where did that come from? <laughs> it is actually a short-term or a short version of Gilera Runner. Like, before I was obviously eligible to drive a car in Germany, uh, I drove a scooter. Okay. And I did some, some, some basically two-wheel sports on that, and people just referred to me as G-Runner since it was quicker. And then really tried to remember my name since I always had a Gilera Runner. And... Uh, at least quite a bit of success in my region so they just went with that name and just stick to it yeah and when and the same question to you Rene when did you get your first kind of wheel or even if, if it be a bungee cord with no feedback when did you get your first wheel can you remember oh uh, I think my first wheel was either SightTech or Speedlink already existed back then it was basically a wheel instead of instead of clamping it to your table it had like a piece left and right and you kind of put it um underneath your legs yes. to hold it in place yeah and from there on and then switch to uh microsoft sightwinder the Cytic r300 whatever uh formula wheel back then so i since they are wheels and i could get them i always had one yeah exactly and and for many people it was a case of no matter how much the cost. Of course, the cost of hardware has come down over time, but I heard Sean Cole talking about spending like $1,000 on a basic thing back then, but he just had to have it, you know? 
So I wanted to talk about now, um, Marcel. Can you please remind me? I don't. Re I don't recall because I guess it kind of happened over time. Can you remind me and the listeners how did it happen that the development of R Factor Two transitioned from ISI Image Space Incorporated over to you guys? What was the story behind that? So yeah, I'll give you the not too long story about it. But uh, I had already been involved with ISI. Uh, just as a sim racer and a beta tester, um, slightly before R Factor One was released, and over the years during R Factor One, um, I occasionally helped them out because they knew I was a software developer, and they were in the US and I was in Europe. Uh, sometimes they had little projects, like, for example, I did a few motion platform drivers for them and other small stuff like that. Uh, and they just called me up whenever they had a customer in Europe uh, and, and I had some time. I help, helped them out. Uh, at some point, they then said, can't you uh, look into this whole steam phenomenon? Because we're interested in that and uh, we don't really have the time to figure all of that out. Uh, so they basically asked me, Do, are you a Steam expert? I said, well, no, not really, but I can look into it if you want. Uh, did that, ported first R Factor 1 and then R Factor 2 to Steam. And at some point, a couple of years ago, I think it's almost three years ago now, uh, just an evening I was chatting with John Kamai, the, the head of uh, ISI, uh, on Skype. Uh, just about some of the stuff we were doing. And he, he posed the question, would you be interested in, in taking over the maintenance of R-Factor 2? Okay. I was kind of uh, taken by surprise. Uh, thought about it for a second and then said, well, maintenance, that's kind of boring, right? I'm, I'm not really looking forward to that, but I thought, well, this is my chance and I'll just propose uh, if we could maybe take over our factor to run with it and uh, try to make the best of it. I thought, well, he's never going to just agree to that. But he said, well, that's up for discussion. Uh, so we discussed that for a couple of months, uh, figured out a way for it uh, that would be good for both companies. Uh, I talked to the company I worked at at the time, Luminous, uh, still working for them as Studio 397 is a part of Luminous. Uh, and they said, well, we should probably let you run with this because if we don't, you're just going to quit and do it anyway. So um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they no, they were they were great about that. Uh, so we figured out a way to do it, and that's really how I got into uh, game development or simulation development. Okay, so it happened over a, a long time. Marcel, you're the managing director of Studio Three Nine Seven, and then you, Rene, you you're the business manager. So can you talk about your day to day roles in terms of development and what you're both actually doing on a day to day basis? We'll start on that, Marcel. <laughs> Since he said development, that's definitely something I normally don't touch, right? <laughs> no, that's that's uh, that's okay. I'll 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 start with what my daily routine is and give Renee a few seconds to figure out what the hell he's doing every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
No, I mean, uh, at the moment, studio is roughly 30 people big. So even though I have a technical background, I studied mechanical engineering and then got into software development. Yeah. Uh, most of my day is spent uh, talking to people, uh, talking to customers, uh, trying to figure out what our next move is going to be, and just making sure that everybody uh, can do their job without too much interruptions and other stuff occurring. So I'm running around virtually a lot uh, every day. And every now and then I still have the time to do a little bit of development myself. But it's it's mostly making sure that everybody else can do their job and staying out of their way. So, which is what a managing director would, would usually be doing, of course. And how about you, uh, uh, René, the uh, business manager role? What does that involve exactly? I mean, you just heard it, right? You try to be nice and let someone else have the first go and then you get blamed for that, saying that you don't know what to do all day. So <laughs> I know the, I know the feeling, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, um, Muscle Sat, right? He's basically he's taking more care of our development site, like on of the development team yeah. and uh, how to structure all of that and how we go forward. So I basically share most of the responsibilities with Dom Duhen. Uh, you probably know him as well. I do, so, indeed. Um, yep. <laughs> everyone knows him in the sim racing world. Indeed, and yeah. w w what we do is basically we try to obviously get licenses for the game, either track or cars or whatever you want to put in the game, which uh, involves uh, meeting and talking to car manufacturers or track uh, license holders and try to negotiate uh, and figure out if we can actually have that. Um, which also means that together with Marcel, we plan on what would be the next step? What do we want to have in the game? How should it look in the future? Uh, not just from licenses, but overall, it's like, what does the market need? Uh, what would we like to do? Because since it's a very small team and everyone's super passionate, it's more about what we really think, what we want to do, and what would be great to have as a driver. Not, not that crazy about the market, but obviously we always need to have a look at that uh, because we all need to survive. And besides licensing, there is obviously marketing. I do a lot of the uh, deals negotiations with uh, championships. Like um, ESL had a R Factor 2 championship, if you uh, might notice that the last month. Uh, yes. The Map Freer won with an offline tournament. So that is part of my work. I try to um, get them obviously interested in using R Factor 2, uh, help them out handling it, uh, making sure that it runs uh, how we think it should run. Yeah. So. All of all of that marketing, licensing, business development. So, who do we talk to? If there's anyone that needs our license, do we need something from someone else to actually uh, get work done or get content in game? That's what I'm handling. Okay. And Marcel t talked about how he was originally approached by ISI to take maintenance of R Factor Two, and then, of course, now they're basically developing the game. You have been acting as a esports caster and commentator and host and so on so Rene how did you then end up working for Studio 397? I mean only host and cast is some sort of let's say second job or hobby um, so my previous job was actually publisher relations manager at ESL the esports uh, company so I had a project where I wanted to tie in a racing game so I got in touch with Dom back then uh, to see if the, the um, requests and uh, the needs my client had, if that could be met with R Factor 2. And after we had a good talk and, and tried to figure out um, how we could get that done, I was wondering, since I was always living for sim racing and enjoyed it like over 15 years now, and 
on the ESL side, I also handled, let's say, more mainstream esports. Sim racing is obviously not there yet. And I was wondering if it would be better to actually be with a game and try to push that forward instead of waiting for a game to be in the right position so that I can use it for some of the projects. So I talked to, to Marcel and Dom and asked if uh, they could, if they have any need for someone like me. And yeah, that's how I ended up on the team. Okay, great. And it seems like you, you seem to be enjoying the role, or at least that's the impression I get. So Definitely. I mean, it's, it's super, how, how do you even say that? Uh, there's so many different tasks and, and so yeah. many different things we want to accomplish. And it's just great to know that to, no matter who you talk to in the studio, uh, you always find someone that is super passionate and wants to do it. Yeah, so exactly. sometimes you just throw ideas around and then it's like, oh yeah, we should have that. Let's do it. And then we just do it. And that's that's way more fun than, let's say, the typical corporate uh, lifestyle. And, and with that, you, every day is something completely different and you don't need to worry that uh, you're basically kind of go into the office and repeat yourself 200 times and then go back home that's not how how it works at the studio exactly exactly now i want to go on uh, i want to move on and, and talk about for example the content you've been adding to r factor 2 and i've purchased everything and and read all the reviews and i actively use the content for example the uh, gt3 pack so we have the mclaren 650s which was used in the world's fastest gamer competition if i remember correctly um, we have the Mercedes AMG GT3 and so on. Then we had the uh, Endurance Pack with the Porsche 911 RSR. And then the BMW M8 GTE. R Factor 2 was the first sim to have that car, wasn't it so? And then the uh, Corvette C7R and the Orica LMP2, which was the basis for the um, Sebring event, which we'll talk about, talk about again later. And then later on, we had the, um, the GT3 Challengers Pack with the McLaren 720S, the new McLaren, the Audi R8, the Porsche 911 GT3R, and the BMW M6, and also the Aston Martin Vantage, the new Aston Martin Vantage, which, which was a bit of a coup for you guys, because that was the first sim, R-Factor 2, sorry, was the first sim to get the Aston Martin Vantage. So can we talk briefly about how you went about getting those manufacturers on board, deciding which cars to go for, and for example, in relation to the um, event you just held last weekend, the, the endurance event, was obtaining licenses for those cars, was that was there a kind of a plan in there in terms of the, the competitions and the live events you would plan to host in the future? Um, let, let me start by answering the, the first part of the question about licensing and which cars we went after. And then maybe Rene can talk a little bit more about uh, events and our upcoming competition system and how we planned all of this. Yep. I mean, initially, uh, we knew because people in the community were basically telling us that we were lacking big licenses. Uh, R-Factor 2 always had a lot of different types of content, uh, but usually they were lesser known cars or they were single cars out of a series. So we knew we had to go after some of the big names. And initially that took us uh, quite a lot of effort. Uh, that was even before Rene joined. Dom was doing a lot of work there. 
because uh, we basically had to build relationships with these manufacturers, uh, gaining their trust because a lot of people at the time were also saying, well, this is R Factor 2. It's like this moddable game. So you apparently don't care about licensing. Uh, we're not even going to talk to you. Uh, those kinds of responses were what we initially got. Uh, we decided to stay very civil, not give up, and uh, just show people that we were really serious about licensing, about creating this content, about really doing a good job also for these manufacturers. So pretty early on, we, we said, well, GT3 is a super popular category. Uh, we will need that for uh, our competition system, et cetera. So let's, let's get started with that. Uh, so once we had the first pack out, uh, we then decided, okay, let's do also some other classes closely related to that. Obviously, we wanted to take the step towards more endurance type racing as that's one of our strengths yes. uh, with the 24-hour cycle, with the dynamic weather, etc., etc. So uh, that was important for us. And somewhere around that time, and this is taking a slight sidestep, uh, we also got involved in the project with Amazon to make the Grand Tour game. Obviously, we couldn't tell anybody about that. Uh, but one of the things we were doing there, and that's why I'm mentioning it, is uh, they needed a lot of licenses for all kinds of different cars uh, for that game as well. And they were not that well known in the automotive or sim racing industries. So uh, we ended up helping them obtaining a lot of those licenses and that in turn made it a little bit easier for us to uh, talk to some of the manufacturers that we had been struggling with before uh, because not only were they seeing hey they're making their own title but hey they're also working with this big company amazon and obviously they trust them so uh, that must be a serious company so that helped us getting more licenses and i think now we're at a point where we have a fairly good relationship with just about every manufacturer and same goes for tracks by the way out there yeah. and um well it's it's never easy to get a license because there's always these negotiations about getting a good price etc etc uh but yeah it is easier in that we have a lot of contacts at the moment um so it's 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 yeah and we're getting better at that stuff as well so it is becoming a little bit easier for us, uh, for sure. So exciting, exciting times overall, Marcel, I would say, for you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, maybe, Rene, you want to... I'm, I'm just taking over from you here, Davey. Uh, Rene, you want to talk a little bit about the, the Sebring event and how we want to structure our uh, competitions going forward? Yeah, sure. I mean, the... Uh... This, the idea of doing an endurance race on, on Sebring is obviously way older than uh, and, and longer ago than the actual event. Since um, I asked myself set when they cited for the class in GT3 and later on for the next GT3 and endurance package, it became clear that uh, not just the game features everything that would be needed for proper endurance racing, we also now had the content uh, to actually do something that looks more official and, and closer to real life. And when then Sebring came to live, it was like, all right, that's an endurance track. It looks amazing. Uh, we had great feedback on it. So how do we get people racing on it, right? Since you're going to have the greatest content, if no one is using it, no one is racing it, then it's kind of boring. So uh, months ago, 
uh, we're like, all right, at one point we need to we need to get that done. At one point we want to have our own let's for now one-off events in endurance and really like first show people what R Factor Two is capable of and what why it's uh, considered to be a great sim when, it's, uh, when it comes to endurance, and second just enjoying what we have, enjoying the content, and letting people enjoy it with us. Because um, I'm pretty sure that all the drivers agree, it's really great just being part of it and, and racing into the night, having all these cars around you, all these possibilities. Something that really creates an atmosphere and an experience that is close to real-life racing. So the Sebring idea was older, and it was finally time to get it done. We had um, most of the stuff, obviously, there's always something to make better in our faction, always something uh, Marcel and his guys are working on. Uh, but at that moment, we're like, all right, we, we're sure we can get it done. Uh, let's do it. Uh, on the other side, as Marcel said already, uh, we're trying to build, and not trying, that's not correct, <laughs> we're building the competition system. Yes. And uh, with, with tying that into the UI, all of that obviously takes time, but we still want to have the racing. So um, in previous community events, we already tested out parts of the competition system. Uh, we actually held some races on Botnia Ring, I remember, uh, during a community night on the competition system. So bringing Sebring should just give a signal in 2019 of, hey, we definitely we will be there. It's, it's, we started in late 2018 with the ESL Championship, and uh, we got some other ideas, and now we got our own like one-off event, which is the Sebring 12th hour. And it just should give a clear signal uh, to everyone around it that it's worth putting your time and effort into our factor twos, like no matter if we talk about creating a team, maintaining a team, or just practicing the game, because uh, there will be something to do, which is super important nowadays. Because um, sandboxing is kind of not a thing anymore nowadays. People expect uh, that the the sim shows you something to do, like daily, you know, like any other games, daily challenges, competitions, matchmaking, and since we bring all of that, Sebring just marks the beginning of basically a new age for Factor 2 with competitions and events. And when the competition system hits uh, the actual public, we want to create daily races to make sure that everyone can just jump in and have fun and really enjoy our Factor 2. And then on top of it, we want these one-off events that have a prize pool, because obviously we, we totally get that teams put a lot of effort in it, and that should be rewarded. But we also want to celebrate what we actually created. Um, as you probably know, we announced um, Nürburgring and the Nordschleife as well, so that's a great endurance track. So why not just going with it? We got Sebring, we will definitely get more this year, not just Nordschleife. So it, it just creates an, a, a storyline where we can go with like saying, hey, if you really want to get into endurance racing, like GT cars, multi-class racing, and you're up for the biggest challenge in motorsport, and you have to use R Factor 2 for that because we've got everything that is needed. So that is basically currently our plan, trying to create uh, something to race for every single day and then make sure that there's a special event where everyone can have the experience uh, that you really want, like a real racing weekend. And the, uh, the 12 hours of Sebring, the real event has only just happened. So it was very timely to have it within, within two weeks of the actual event. And uh, during the event... The commentary that was on screen were some of the graphics that we saw that were used, for example, showing the progress of the um, LMP2, GTE, and GT3. Is that a taster of some of the UI elements that are coming once the competition system becomes available for us players? I mean, we understand. 
Oh, you want to go with him? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, just, I'll, I'll start and you can finish again. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, what you're seeing in some of the overlays is based on the HTML-based user interface that we have uh, in, yes. in the game. And uh, we also intend, as we are doing ourselves, to, to use it for broadcast overlays for esports. So technology that we're making will not just appear in the game, but you will also be able to use it if you're making your own shows uh, by having these overlays that are completely controllable by cameramen or directors, whoever wants to control that stuff. Uh, so stuff, stuff you were seeing, like the track map, showing the different cars and classes and, and the scoring towers and stuff like that. Basically, those are already elements from the new UI that we're testing out in these events and making sure they're ready for everybody to use uh, when we release that stuff. The scoring tower, of course, is what it's called. And as a side note, a minor joke, if you will, I wanted to congratulate you on getting the Blue Angels to take off from MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida right at the time when, when the race was starting. And if, if listeners don't know what it is I'm talking about, I'll include a link to what I'm talking about below in the description for the podcast once the podcast goes live. And I really enjoyed that. That was, that was very fun. And I noticed in the last week, the week before, there were some updates to the cars. For example, many of the GT3 and GTE cars, some software updates have been pushed to the game. So was that some kind of minor tweaks you were working on to have everything ready for, for the Sebring event? Uh, actually, yes, because uh, as Renee said, Sebring is, I think, the most awesome looking track we have at the moment, uh, especially in the 12-hour configuration with all the spectators and uh, caravans and, and stuff uh, by the trackside, uh, which also means that it's, it's, it's kind of heavy on the graphic side because uh, we wanted to include all that detail that you normally see and really make the track come alive that way. Um, so knowing that that it's it's quite a heavy track and these new cars that we have are also quite heavy and detailed, we wanted to make sure that everybody could successfully run them. Uh, so we spent some extra time on optimizing the LODs, as we uh, briefly called that uh, in our uh, release notes. Uh, I'm not sure if everybody's familiar what LODs are, levels of detail. Can you explain that, ex what, it, what it is exactly? So uh, what, what that means basically is if you model a 3D uh, model of a car, yeah. uh, you will end up with uh, a nicely looking model with lots of different polygons. And that's fine if the car is up close. Uh, but you can't really render 40 of those cars or 20 of those cars at the same time. That's just too heavy for your graphics card. Mm. So what you tend to do is instead of modeling each car once, you make like five or six different models. And each variant of, of that model it has less and less polygons and is used when the car is a bit further away from you. Because, well... If the car is all the way in the distance, it's not going to matter whether it's a hundred thousand polygons or a thousand, because you all, all, yeah, well, you see like five or six dots on your screen, something like that, and that's the car. Yeah. So by having all these different versions of the model, we can sort of seamlessly transition from a very detailed model to a not so detailed model, still show a lot of cars and show the right one uh, based on how far away they are. And 
by optimizing that a bit more, uh, people can sort of tune their own level of detail and say, okay, my, my computer is a little bit older. I'll, I'll uh, use an opponent detail that's medium or low. And the models will look slightly less spectacular, but still good enough in most cases. Uh, so that's what we took the time for to really optimize it to ensure that everybody driving and everybody watching the race could could enjoy it at a good frame rate, etc. So that's that's the effort we took to make sure that this event was a big success and also everybody using that content could use it a little bit better than before. Optimizing as much as possible. Thanks for that explanation. I, I think I, I finally get it now. Um, I wanted then to, because I, I had watched the actual event and on the IMSA on YouTube, for example, commentated by John Heinha and then, and then your event. And I was thinking, how does this, the Fanatec 12 hours of Sebring with R-Factor 2, how does it compare to the real? And I was looking into it. And in the real event, for example, you had the, the DPI cars and the LMP2 cars and both classes are based on LMP2 and for the real event, IMSA decided to split up the prototype field so they would have the LMP2 and DPI cars, but both based on LMP2 chassis. And then you had the GTE, which I think they call GTLM, and then the GT3, which, was, which they call GTD, if I remember correctly. I was very impressed how overall between the selection of cars that the drivers could choose, you, you, you were literally mirroring what was happening in the real event. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, I think that's what Rene said before. I mean, now we really content to, well, reasonably closely mirror uh, such uh, such series. And uh, you did a great job, by the way, comparing all the different classes and how they're named over here in Europe versus how they're named in the US, because that's usually confusing even us every now and then. I don't know why they, they have one class system for everybody. And same thing with all the colors for the classes. I think we had a whole day discussing which color each class should be in our game and comparing that to the real world and concluding, well, even in the real world, they're not sure uh, how this works and everybody's doing their own thing. So let's just make sure we have a different color for each class. And uh, yeah, it will never be consistent with everything. So no, uh, exactly. yeah, those are yeah. interesting. Well interesting discussions for us. I'm not even sure if our users are that uh, bothered by it, but oh well. <laughs> I think overall, in terms of what happens with the IMSA, uh, directly relates to the international, the FIA, WEC. And for example, many are saying that the future of the LMP2 chassis class in IMSA is, I won't say in jeopardy, but they don't know because the LMP2 class, which was fielded at, for example, Daytona and Sebring, is based on the FIA World Endurance Championship regulations. And then the DPI cars, they're more powerful than the LMP2. So there's kind of ongoing differences. So it's interesting to see what will happen. And indeed, also with the uh, LMP1, for example, at Le Mans, like now that, for example, Audi have pulled out and Porsche and so on, and there's only really like Toyota left, it will be interesting to see what will happen in the real world in the future. And of course, we'll, we'll directly relate to the content that you guys will be creating in the future. Now, in terms of who was competing at the event, uh, uh, Marcel, you were driving for Sim Racing Holland. And, and it, it was, a, was, it, was it the Corvette? Was it in the um, GTE class your team was, was driving? 
Absolutely, yeah. We I think in this event we were the only Corvettes. Uh, well, not totally, because in the GT3 you could say there were a few teams. I think were Callaway, racing the yeah. Callaway Corvette, mm, so yeah. that's very similar. By the uh, way, Simply Fair Racing, the only team on the Callaway Corvette. Ah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, we were racing in GTE, uh, and actually two of my teammates uh, started the race and unfortunately also finished the race as a little over the halfway mark, we had to retire our car with excessive damage ah. uh, up to a point where we just couldn't uh, drive safely on the track anymore. Uh, so we decided to uh, to park the car, which was unfortunate as I hadn't driven a single mile yet. Ah, really? Uh, but to be honest, I was enjoying the event, just watching it and being part of it so much that I, I really didn't care too much. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll drive another day. But uh, yeah, just uh, just being part of uh, such an event and all the preparation that uh, that is done ahead of time. I mean, that's that's part of the fun for me. Just so just preparing the team, building the setup together, discussing the strategy. Uh, those things I, I really enjoy a lot. So, yeah, I had a great time, even though we didn't make it to the finish line. So you didn't actually get to do a stint in the end, but like you said, you didn't mind. No, yeah, obviously I would love to do a stint, uh, but, uh, well, there's always another race. I'll, I'll be in the car again for the next race. And in terms of the overall event, now I was watching it overall and trying to, trying to keep up the speed, uh, pardon the pun, uh, and going between YouTube and Twitch. Now, I noticed, for example, um, Rudy Van Buren was there. Rudy, of course, is the, is the McLaren World's Fastest Gamer. And Rudy was in the uh, BMW MA GTE. And then there was the, um, the driver swap. Rudy pulled into the pits and Kevin Van, Van Doren was supposed to take over. And th- there was an issue. So there was such a long time in, in trying to get the swap um, happening. It didn't happen. So they decided to pull out so what what happened there did, did you guys follow up with kevin and fi- figure out what happened there after or what was the situation so yeah i i actually did uh get in touch with them uh as uh, both of them uh, are also uh, testers for r factor 2 so at some point they they contacted me during the event and they said they had some technical issue getting the swap done literally they were just trying to uh, make it happen during the pit stop and something was not working because uh, the game wasn't switching from one driver to the other they tried a few times and in the end just couldn't make it work and and the game failed uh, and even though i don't know exactly why it failed uh, that is one of the areas that we're looking into at the moment i mean there's a lot of things in such a big code base that uh, still require some attention this is one of them and it's actually one of the things we're focusing on a lot at the moment to to make that better and ensure that in the next event people don't have these issues anymore exactly it's part it's part of the ongoing daily work you guys are doing and uh, um, if i remember correctly uh, Gregor Hutu is one of the original members of Team Redline, and um, one of your commentators during the event was was Jonathan Simon, and Jonathan has his own podcast, and I, th- I recall Jonathan having Gregor on his show one day, and I think Gregor mentioned he's working on the UI for R Factor 2, isn't it so? Absolutely. In fact, the overlays that we were just discussing uh, were, well, 
I think largely made by him. So uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a super sim racer and know for a long time. Yeah, the GPL days, he used to sort of lap me every race. Uh, but I got over that, and uh, we discovered a couple of years ago that he's also a really good front-end engineer. Oh, really? So uh, we got him involved in studio, and I think for the last couple of years, he's been working on a lot lot of parts of the new UI and also of the new competition system. And yeah, these overlays are one thing he has uh, has worked on, so he's quite good at that as well. Now, something I, I noted and, and something I've been thinking about, and I wanted to get your guys' feeling on it as well. Um, now, Jimmy Broadbent, of course, was participating in the event as part of the, G- the GNS team, and Jimmy had issues, and, and they had to retire the car within two hours. And I noticed, for example, that many people were on Twitch and on YouTube asking, where is Jimmy? What happened to Jimmy? And indeed, um, Jimmy had a placeholder for his stream and the stream was, you know, Sebring 12 hours racing with Max Verstappen and things didn't work out. And then um, Jimmy ended up pulling the stream and, and Jimmy had a tough time of it. He had to kind of pick himself up and say, ah, sure, you know, I, I'll move on to the next event. And it's something I was kind of thinking about where you had like the 12 hours of Sebring, you had Bono Huiz and Max Verstappen and Rudy Van Buren really like, accomplished sim racers and like Max Verstappen wasn't streaming when he was driving and neither was Rudy for example and then you have somebody like Jimmy who was trying to kind of uh, stream at the same time and and yet be competitive so it kind of got me to thinking well well for many of these events let's say and this doesn't apply to R Factor 2 specifically it applies to any game and you guys you as you guys are gamers as well I'd like to get your opinion on this for example, somebody like Jimmy would attract maybe people, let's say, to the event or interest in the event or attract people to come and watch the stream. But then to participate in the event, particularly the 12 hours of Sebring, you really have to be on your game. You have to be concentrating and, and perhaps to um, compete successfully and to stream at the same time is maybe a bit too much. You know what I mean? So I was wondering, what do you guys, what do you guys think if somebody like Jimmy is... is joining such an event, would it not be better for him to kind of just focus on the driving? I don't think that there's a huge impact from streaming to racing. I mean, especially for Jimmy, who has a lot of experience with actually competing while streaming. I mean, obviously, yes, it is probably not the same as sitting in your room all alone and concentrating on driving. But on the other side, in an endurance race like that, you got uh, intercom with your teammates anyway. And there are some people that prefer to actually chat while driving rather than just staying silent. It's the same for me. I kind of tend to overfocus and then uh, force myself into mistakes. So doing a stream just allows him to actually be a bit more relaxed. And hey, it's it's part of his entertainment as well. People want to want to see him racing, and even even if he gives away like let's say a tenth of a second due to that, I think that's both for him or both for the people that want to watch because they just want to see their hero driving. If we could all do the same with whoever star driver in the world, and we will probably do the same. So first of all, I think the impact is not that big. And second, I think it's great that there are still people saying, hey, we want to compete, but we're more than willing to show it, even if we might be a bit slower or the connection is not as great. 
just because other people would like to watch. And I know that Jimmy wasn't happy about his results, uh, and he's definitely more competitive on R Factor 2 uh, normally. But I know that he was traveling for the GT Sport World Tour before. Uh, he had a lot on his on his schedule, and this time it just didn't work out with enough uh, with enough practice. So I guess he was more frustrated about himself uh, than anything else, just because he wasn't up to uh, the performance he could normally drive. But I'm pretty sure he will be way better next time. Yeah, and I noticed you guys said that during the commentary that Jimmy literally didn't have enough time, perhaps, to prepare beforehand. What do you What do you think, Marcel? Overall, what's your opinion on the whole thing? Well, I'm, I must first say that I almost never stream while I'm driving. And mm. I even don't like teammates talking to me when I'm driving. So I'm kind of the opposite of Jimmy and Renee in that sense. But that's just me as a driver. I mean, I totally agree with what Renee said. And I don't think for a guy like Jimmy that the impact of streaming uh, affects his performance a lot. Uh, but let, let's face it. I mean, this was a rather high level event in the sense that a lot of teams had put a lot of laps in uh, to uh, to yeah perfect the setups uh, to make sure they were well prepared so overall i mean even our team we struggled a lot to to get to the required pace to uh, just uh, follow the rest of uh, of the field so it was it was a really tough race from that uh, point of view uh, but I, I I love it that people are streaming what they do and, and sharing that information in other ways. I think that's one thing that makes sim racing so interesting. It's not just the official broadcast that you can watch uh, and enjoy, but also various other perspectives. So I think that's really a direction that will uh, also in sim racing become an integral part of, of esports uh, and will make uh, those events so much more interesting for people to watch. Yeah, and it comes back to Rene's comments as well. I guess it's a different point of view for those people who are driving and those people who are driving and streaming at the same time and, and people following them. And like you said, Marcel, and, and I guess was what I was driving at, your version of Sebring is laser scanned, it's quite bumpy, and the LMP2 cars are fast, the high downforce cars, you were in a highly competitive pack and people were work, working as teams. And, and even more so, if you haven't had time to practice, you just need time to focus on your stints so the car is ready then to hand over to the next guy. But we shall uh, move on, I guess. And like Jimmy was saying on Twitter, he'll be ready for the next event. Now, I wanted to also talk about um, Formula E. I've done some content about Formula E. Um, and you guys have the first generation car in R Factor 2 and the second generation car coming. Now, guys, can you tell me, how did the relationship with ABB Formula E, how did that come about? Um, that actually goes all the way back to just about the same time when we uh, started Studio 397. Uh, at that time, uh, that was also when the preparations for the Las Vegas event uh, started. And um, Dom actually was in contact with Formula E at the time. Um, so um, just when we were, we were starting the studio, we were starting to talk to Formula E initially about this big event, which they were already preparing. We sort of jumped in the middle, uh, didn't really get involved because basically they had everything already covered. So, and it was 
literally a couple of weeks before the event was supposed to be run. So it didn't make sense for us to try and jump in and change everything. Yeah. Um, but that's when we got uh, talking to them. Uh, obviously, uh, Dom, uh, being part of Team Redline, also had quite a few drivers in that actual final. Uh, and that's really where, uh, during and after that final in Vegas, we started talking about the possibility to make Formula E a yeah formally licensed series in R-Factor 2. Yeah. Uh, discussed many things with them and then ended up uh, doing the first generation uh, car, uh, the Hong Kong uh, track. And um, yeah, we're, I mean, a lot of people are telling us we should be doing all of the tracks. Uh, I know. Yeah, we should. Uh, but we also need to balance all the different tracks and series that we do. So uh, whilst I would love to do all of the Formula E tracks and all of the IMSA tracks and all of the Formula One tracks, <laughs> We just yeah. can't. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have to pick and choose a bit there. Uh, but we have a really good relationship with them, uh, and uh, yeah, we're finishing the Gen Two car right now. Uh, literally, uh, while we're talking, our test team is testing the new brake-by-wire system for that car, which was the last missing link that we wanted to have uh, before we release it. So, yes. that's something that's coming really soon now. And uh, yeah, we're also working on some other new content for Formula E, which we haven't uh, told the public yet, but you'll see uh, that when it comes out later this year. Uh, so yeah, we're still uh, very much interested in that series. It's growing, it's evolving. They're trying out a lot of uh, new game and, and, and race elements there. And I think it's a breath of fresh air, really. I mean, um, a lot of different opinions about that, obviously. But uh, I think it's good that there are series out there that try to do something differently. And Rene, you've been, shall I say, globetrotting, visiting the Formula E events and doing commentary for the local the races happening there between fans and the um, drivers. So how did that come about? And with all the traveling you've been doing, how have you been managing your time? I mean, it was pretty straightforward getting into that, I guess. Uh, when I was still at ESL, I uh, was actually responsible for Formula E's first esports approach, which was uh, before the actual Las Vegas event. Back then, we created the uh, Formula E Pro Series by Visa and some race-off events, which were um, one-off studio arena events where they invite the real drivers and uh, some fans. So basically yeah. what nowadays is the E-Race, but just a bit bigger as a TV show. Yeah. Um, so I, I uh, was responsible for that project and I also casted it back in the days. And when I joined the studio and we got in touch with Formula E again, uh, at, at one point they were just looking for someone new to actually host the E-Race uh, segment since they wanted someone that is closer to, let's say, gaming and, and the, the whole stuff around it rather than going for classic uh, TV presenter. So, uh, yeah, I just got asked, and I was like, yeah, of, co of course, I would love to uh, work with Formula E uh, on the E-races. Um, even if it's a bit sad, that's obviously not our factor, too. I'd love to see that. No, no, and, uh, no. <laughs> in, ter in terms of times, <laughs> I mean, 
well, got lucky that racing is uh, mostly at the weekends. So yeah, if if it was Asia and uh, since I went to Hong Kong with them and to South and Middle America, yes, uh, there was a bit more traveling involved. But normally the race at the weekend. So especially now that they switch into European races off on the Sunjay event, uh, it gets a bit easier. And yeah, I'll just do that at the weekends and then I'll return uh, to actually work uh, with the studio during the week. So that I would say currently that's pretty easy to just. Uh, get together so you didn't attend the event in sanya in china of course but you'll be attending the next event in italy i guess you will yeah i wasn't doing sanja because obviously we had our own sebring event indeed and, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, i really really wanted to be there and actually see that so in the beginning we thought about going to sanja uh but it was uh, i also have to say it was a great decision not doing it because sebring was great <laughs> and i loved every minute of that uh but yeah i will uh it's, at least it seems like that uh that i will do uh the rome race which is up next i guess rene did you need like permission from your boss to go in a way or i assume not but is the fact that you're commentating there is that helping with the relationship you guys have with formula e on an ongoing basis if you know what i mean I mean, obviously, I need uh, a confirmation from my boss. Yeah, sure, yeah. like everyone else does. <laughs> uh, on, the, on the other hand, this is a project that is part of the studio. So it's not like it is a site project or whatsoever, but it's yeah. something that Formula E uh, decided on with Studio 397. So it's, uh, it's a direct thing with the studio. So that makes it a bit easier. Of course. Yeah. And how to say that even? <laughs> Um, so that that part is is super simple. So I'll ask and if we if we got the time, uh, I'll I'll I'm happy to do that, uh, and and provide it. So there's there's not much involved to that. What's the second part of the question? And and you have to say that I totally forgot. The fact that you've been attending the event and doing the commentating is it helping with the ongoing relationship you guys have with Formula E? But as you said. The relationship you guys have goes all the way back to the Visa Vegas event, isn't it so? Uh, it, it, I would say it definitely helps, yes. I mean, hmm. um, I'm in direct touch with them. I can talk to the drivers. I can talk to teams. Like Some of the information um, we got, I, I can basically just go there and ask someone of the teams. Like on one of the flights back, I think it was Mexico, I had the, uh, the uh, chief of Mahindra next to me. Uh, so it was it was great to just catch up and and talk to them and and figure out like what makes Formula E so um, yeah so unique basically uh, especially if we got some questions in terms of te- uh, of technical stuff but with Formula being in touch with Formula E direct definitely helps I mean we're writing a lot of emails anyway but being there at the weekend being able to talk to them directly or talk to ABB or everyone involved Indeed, uh, yeah. so that we all are on the same page when it comes to the content we're creating uh, definitely helps the relationship yes yeah, and it's Jaguar Mahindra isn't it so if I remember correctly no there's a Jaguar uh, Formula E team and there's yeah. Mahindra ah, so yeah. they're, they're, they're different teams <laughs> And uh, Mahindra, the, uh, Mahindra is actually one. the team with I think that is where uh, uh, Jose Maria Lopez is driving Yes, and it was it was not okay sitting next to him on the flyback because during the show I actually called him Juan Maria Lopez, uh, the whole show over. So he actually grabbed my microphone in the last ten seconds and was like, "You definitely need to learn my name." All of that live on camera, and uh, yeah, then sitting next to his boss basically on the flyback, I was like, "Oh dear." <laughs> he said, "Okay, mate, give me a break. I'm multitasking here. I'm doing my job back in Europe, and I'm, <laughs> I'm also globe trotting." So. 
Oh, there, there were there were questions if uh, if that distracted him so much that his race in Mexico was so awful afterwards. If it was, if I'm the person to blame, but uh it's they all great uh, people over there at Formula E. Uh, you can have a lot of fun with them. So obviously, I'm sorry that I messed up the name. I have no clue why I did that because I know his name. But yeah, we're all just human. We make mistakes, but they're great to work with. And we had our laugh about that. Uh, we had the the idea of going Hong Kong and calling everyone Juan, um, <laughs> uh, but we didn't do it. But we were still fine. Exactly, exactly. Sounds like a fun time. Now, uh, back to what Marcel commented. People were asking about having all the tracks. Now, I know there are some some tracks made by users in the Steam Workshop, and I guess the quality varies. I have to admit, I haven't tried them all, but it's great that they're there. And it's one of the great options you guys have, for example, in Steam that there is the workshop for all the content that's there. And some of the content, of course, is really good. Now, you've mentioned, Marcel, you're going to add the, um, the brake-by-wire system. If I remember correctly, the, uh, the Gen 2 cars are, are heavily homologated and monitored by the FIA. So it's, isn't it so that the brake-by-wire system is one of the few systems the teams can actually uh, manage? And it affects the level of braking applied to the axle on the car and, and the, the level of braking, of course, controls how much regen there is on, on the electric power of the cars. So how will then the uh, how will that be implemented in the game? Is that like a, a scale of one to ten that you will be you will implement on a user's wheel, or how would it actually work? So yeah, it, let, let me explain technically a little bit about how that. So uh, Formula One, uh, Formula E cars, are, they are uh, rear wheel driven. So the yes. electric motor drives the rear wheels, and that also means that the regeneration happens at the rear wheels. And it happens obviously under braking. Uh, now, the first thing that will affect how you brake in the car is the brake balance that you set. Uh, so uh, the brake pressure you apply is divided uh, according to the brake balance to the front and rear wheels. Now, on the rear wheels, they have the brake by wire system. Uh, which means, let's say, if, uh, I don't know, uh, 60% goes to the front and 40% goes to the rear, then 40% of that pressure and therefore also the torque involved in slowing the car down is going to be uh, applied by the rear wheels. Normally, that would be done by the actual brakes, uh, but in case of a regeneration, the motor slowing down those rear wheels and regenerating electricity that goes directly back into the batteries. So the car tries to generate all that torque uh, using the motor. Uh, however, that's not always possible depending on how fast the car is driving. Uh, you might need a little bit more torque than you would get just from regeneration. Uh, so the rear wheels also have traditional brakes. And the brake by wire system really manages how much of that uh, brake torque uh, is uh, generated by the motor and how much of it is generated by the traditional brakes. And that again affects the temperature of the rear brakes, etc. etc. That's all the same as the normal car. So that's a parameter that you can play around with in the car, uh, and uh, that will affect well how much. Uh, energy you regenerate and as we all know that's an important part of the strategy in formula e so mastering regeneration and gen regenerating as much as you can uh, yes. will certainly help you in those races 
And uh, would, would there be the possibility of adding, in the fifth season of Formula E with the second generation cars, there's the attack mode and the existing fan boost. So will, will there ever be the possibility of um, adding those features to the game? Oh, I definitely already looked at that. I mean, fan boost in itself is a little bit difficult to implement in a game unless we really start drivers uh, promoting themselves on social media for every yeah, race indeed, and actually yeah. Yeah. picking one driver to get a fan boost. So that doesn't really translate too well to our game. Uh, that said, the new attack mode is a new, interesting new feature. Yeah. And uh we won't directly introduce it with the Gen 2 car, but we are looking at how can we implement this on our existing tracks, or at least all the tracks that are sort of relevant to race in, in uh, Formula E. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, somewhere either later this year or beginning of next year, we come up with some kind of solution for that. I mean, it's just new in Formula E as well. I think they're still fine-tuning it a little bit and figuring out what works, etc. So we're keeping a close eye on that because it, it could be interesting for, for our Formula E experience as well, and maybe even also other classes that we make it an option uh, to use in other competitions as well. Yeah, because it's the gamification of racing. And I was, I'm just thinking out loud, maybe in the future you could have a live event and if there was, for example, fan boost via Twitter, people could vote for a driver and I don't know, it could be a way of, of getting people to engage in a, in a live stream or something. You know, I, I guess the possibilities are endless depending on what's technically possible. And I won't go into whether there'll ever be uh, the R Factor 2 in use at the events, at the race events. Um, we've had that discussion before and I think Formula E know, know my feelings on that. Now, I wanted to move on to the other content you have. You released the Kart Sim Pack, and there are two, two karts. There's the UK Senior Kart and the Rental. There's uh, three tracks which are laser scanned. The uh, Paul Fletcher International in the UK, uh, Bookmore Park, and Glanny Gord, which is in Wales. So, so um, how did that content come about, and, and has that content proven popular inside the game? So, Kart uh, Sim initially started out as a separate project uh, by the card sim company um, and we got in touch with them fairly early in the process when they were exploring the possibility of either trying to license a whole engine and building their own game uh, or selling it as they do now as dlc in r factor 2 and initially, they wanted to go for the first option, but that's an option that requires a lot of upfront investment, not just in terms of licensing the engine, which obviously is not free, uh, but also then you have the engine uh, and you also need to make your own game out of it. I mean, if you literally copy what we have and don't make any changes, there's not much point in, uh, in doing that. And that's also a process that's, uh, that's expensive and time-consuming. And it can be worth it in the end, uh, obviously, as other uh, companies have licensed R-Factor 1 and similar engines from ISI in the past. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's also a game that requires yeah, a lot of investment, and it takes a lot of time to recover that investment. And really, in the early days, there were no alternatives as there was no such thing as paid content. 
So once we introduced that system, we also started talking to people about the option to not take the route of licensing the engine, but instead just selling the, the content they made as add-on content for our Factor 2. And for CardSim, I think that worked out really well because, well, they are se selling a consumer version, which uh, contains the content you just mentioned. And they're also selling a sort of pro version, which has uh, a bit more content even, uh, more cards and more tracks. And uh, that's also running on R Factor 2. And I think they're also selling hardware with that, their own cart uh, simulator rigs. Oh, really? And uh, hosting their own competitions. So you're not just buying more content, you're also buying the hardware and you're buying a spot in their competition. And uh, I think that has been uh, quite a big success for them. Um, I think for us, the card sim content is, I think it's, I would say it's about as, as, as successful as we thought it would be. I mean, front, we knew it wouldn't be as popular as GT3 cars, for example. Uh, and that's fine. Not everything has to be equally uh, popular. Uh, but in general, it's sort of on par with other uh, paid content we did, such as Formula E that we just discussed. So I think it's pretty successful. We're talking to them also about adding more content to it. So uh, even though nothing's been decided yet, that's still something they're discussing. So that might come in the future. And yeah, we're also talking to other uh, parties who are interested in doing something similar, uh, selling paid content. And I think the, the biggest example is uh, what we're doing with Risa Studios, which yes. I'm sure you'll touch on a bit later as well. Yes, I, 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 have, it, I have it noted here, exactly. And then the, the, um, now the oncoming tracks, I don't want to pick your brains on what tracks you have coming. You've, you've already mentioned the Nürburgring Nordschleife, and indeed, uh, René, you mentioned this during the Sebring 12-hour event. Now, René, uh, in real world, shall I say, you posted on Twitter, you recently drove the um, Nordschleife in your Honda Civic Type R. Was that your first time to, to drive the Nordschleife, or had you been there before? I mean, I live pretty close, which is great, so it takes me yeah. about an hour an hour to get there. It was my first time with, with that car, but not my first time in general. Uh, in the past, before I went back to eSports, I um, actually worked as a test driver for a German car magazine, and I also worked as instructor on the Nürburgring GP course. Did so, you really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I got a bit of experience with real-life cars, and uh, I had my fair share of that over the years um, before going back to, to sim racing. Yeah. But it was the first time with a new car, and it was the first time for my girlfriend to experience that uh, legendary track. Uh, we got lucky. Weather was great. <laughs> uh, not, mu not much traffic on the track at all. Yeah. So uh, the, the only problem with it was you drive it, then you go back, and then you really, really want to start up R-Factor 2 and uh, drive the Nordschleife. But uh, yeah, Marcel didn't unlock the spurs yet, right? There's no, <laughs> there's no drivable <laughs> surface yet. So oh, I... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. At least that's what he tells us. I'm not sure if he's maybe lying, but <laughs> there's no chance yet in driving it for me. So uh, yeah. it, it just it just creates a more urgent uh, a feeling of having it for our factor two finally. So uh, I hope we're getting closer. And that's a front wheel drive. Is it a manual six speed? I I know from the picture. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go off topic, but but what did you have on that? Did you have um? 
Are they 17 or 18 inch alloy rims you have on the car? Did you put custom rims on it or how was it? No, it's uh, I say it's a front wheel driven car. Yeah, it's the four uh, four inline uh, turbocharged yeah. two liter. Yeah. Uh, and the wheels are actually the current uh, standard ones, and standard they come in twenty inch, which is ah really uh, ah, yeah. pretty big. Yeah, for for such a track car, I wondered, and yeah. uh, problematic in terms of uh, what tires you can choose for it. But it's yeah. normally that's our daily because I also have a track tool, a Honda S two thousand, and we just recently brought a VLN car, a Ford Fiesta ST, which is completely re- race ready. As I would like to go back into real racing this year at least okay. a bit yeah. uh in between so uh it's the civic was not really meant for track but it's it's great fun on the track that's for sure 20 inch that's quite big for a car like that that's interesting and and then um i don't want to pick your brains about other cars or tracks with, that are coming I, I have note of that but i can tell you they're all as felt and they're all around <laughs> not ovals <Yes. laughs> <laughs> now the um the new UI now, I know any blog post anywhere about R Factor 2, people are asking about the new UI. And indeed, we mentioned that uh, Gregor Hutu was working on the, the new UI and um, we mentioned the competition system coming. So how is progress on the new UI coming along? I don't want to ask you on when it's um, going to be available because that's your own business. But how are things going on that? And internally, how, how has the feedback been? Because I've done some in- tutorials on the... Um, existing UI and I find it okay it works for me it's like once once you get used to the original ISI implementation you get used to it but how was the progress going on the new system so uh if you, if you compare the it to the features we have in the current UI i think that's the easiest way to to compare where we are i think by now we have everything that's in the R factor 2 in game UI we also now have in in the new ui so from that point of view you could say it's it's ready to go um, we decided to not release it yet as and i said earlier we want to integrate the competition system we think that will give a, a big boost and uh, we think it makes sense to release those two things together uh, because quite frankly i mean ui it is sort of important but in the end, we're a racing simulation. So you spend probably 90% of the time in the car, in the cockpit, and maybe 10% uh, going over the UI, maybe working on your setup. I mean, that's probably the area that I spend most time in. And, and that's really a, a quite a technical UI, no matter how you design it. I mean, there's a lot of things you can configure and uh, yes you need to know a little bit about what springs and dampers are otherwise you're not going to succeed in uh, making the right kind of changes and it's also an area where you just experiment a lot and figure out how does this car actually work and how do i make it faster and i think that's also part of the fun um, so the other part that we're still working on is to integrate what we call the launcher so the first part that you actually see when you start r factor 2 which has the online matchmaker uh, which also has the package management system and we're really keen to bring those things into the same ui uh, and make it one thing again instead of two separate pieces of of the program 
launcher was basically, I think, introduced by ISI because they wanted to have a difference between the offline and the online part because you needed to pay for the online part separately in a subscription, got rid of that. So really there's no reason to have a separate launcher anymore. And we can bring those features back into the main game and back into the main UI. And that's really what we're working on right now. So that part and finishing the competition part. Then we're ready to go. And then uh, back to the um, a question similar to CardSim. And it's a question, indeed, I was going to ask Ryza DLC Pack, the Renato in Brazil, and they've been working with, with Niels Huskenveld on their content, for example. And I think actually Automobilista, the UI for me is quite complex. But I think the, the game is great. It has a great driving feel. And of course, Automobilista is based on R-Factor 1, as indeed is Race Room Racing Experience. So, so I, I guess the, um, the rights a DLC pack similar to Cardcraft, it's a kind of a natural progression. But I, I was wondering, um, is the rights a guys creating the content, uh, the cars and tracks for, for R-Factor 2? Is that a way of for them to, for example, learn the R Factor 2 engine as, as a development system and possibly also create a software themselves in the future? I think, I mean, obviously what their future plans are, you need to ask themselves because quite honestly, they don't share all of that with us. Of course, uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm not in a good position to, well, to give you a good answer on that. But for sure, they have looked at our factor two and have seen the creation of this pack as a way to familiarize themselves with the technology that we have uh, and evaluate it. Um, well, honestly, we've had a few talks with Reza about the possibility of uh, them licensing our engine. Um, but those talks have not been uh, totally completed yet, and I don't want to uh, discuss them any more in public anyway. Uh, but I, I think, uh, yeah, they, they learned a lot from uh, working with R-Factor 2 and converting their content. I totally agree with you that Automobilista is a great game. Is, uh... Uh, I certainly would be shooting myself in the foot if I said anything else uh, since I uh, helped uh, Raisa uh, create Automobilista back in the days. Actually, a few people from Luminous back in the days were involved in the coding side of that, so okay. quite familiar yeah. with the things they did. And uh, they have a small but super dedicated team, so uh, lots of credit to them and what they achieved with that engine because that's really an outstanding job. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm just as curious as you to see what their future will bring, uh, yeah. and obviously wishing them all the best in whatever choices they make. But uh, certainly looking forward to the Ryza pack coming out really, really soon now. And it's looking very good, based on the content I've seen Paul Jeffrey um, run already. So we'll finish up now, guys. So so anything else? Um... Anything we want you want to talk about, Rene? Is there anything you would like? Any events coming up that you'd like to promote before we go, or anything that people should be watching out for? Ah, uh, there's nothing yet to promote. I can just say that, as I did in the beginning, Sebring was ah uh, Sebring was a start for us. Uh, the competition system is coming, which means uh, there will be way more to do in R Factor Two. And if you really want to invest uh, your time in a sim and get ready for 2019 and a great season, then it should be R Factor Two. 
Marcel, you've I guess you've already you've already covered everything that's going to be available. There's the the new content and and the new UI. Anything else you want to mention? No, not at this point. I think we have a lot of stuff coming up. Two new tracks. Uh, we've got the Riser stuff coming. We've got Formula E coming really soon. Uh, Tatus pack is getting close to be ready. We're working hard on getting that done. I think those are all things that the community is going to enjoy a lot and should keep them busy for at least a couple of more months. And I think by then we'll be ready to announce some more new stuff. So, uh, no, I think that's it for now. And uh, I would like to thank you for hosting and having us. Uh, it was great talking to you. Marcel, Rene, I really appreciate you joining uh, for this discussion. And I want to thank you again for breathing life back into R Factor 2. And I look forward to, to playing R Factor 2 more in the future and seeing what's happening. Thank you very much. And a minor note before we finish this episode. Rene unfortunately had to jump out of the session before I finally got to thank him for joining. So Rene, thanks again for joining. And Marcel, of course, it was a very enjoyable conversation. And I look forward to chatting with you again someday. Until next time, thank you. Is that the, is that the outro music? Do, 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 do.